Well, the Super Bowl has come and gone, so one of the biggest betting days of the year is now behind us. But things are only getting heated up at mybookie.ag. Of course, as you know, you're listening to a hockey podcast. After all, there is no other sport like hockey. The fast tempo, the fights, like we saw at the Battle of Alberta, that was awesome. To the highlight reel plays, there is no more exciting sport than hockey. And it gets even more exciting when you're placing your bets on hockey. Because you're an expert, you know who's going to win, you have a good feeling about it. Why not turn those feelings into cash? Nobody gives you more ways to win than mybookie.ag. They have the best payouts, better odds than any other sports book. And I wouldn't be telling you this if they were not the best. Now, if you join right now, mybookie.ag will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. You don't have to deposit $1,000 if you don't have it. Maybe you just wanted to play around with 50 bucks, so to say. You got 50 bucks from your Aunt Nana or your Grand Grammy, or maybe it's your birthday. You got 50 bucks for your birthday. Yay! First of all, happy birthday. Second of all, you can turn it into an extra $25 right now by depositing it on mybookie.ag and using the promo code THPN. Using that promo code, mybookie will match that deposit by 50%. So they'll give you an extra $25 on top of that 50 to play with. How about that? Isn't that cool? Just use the promo code THPN to activate the offer and take advantage of this. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. It's that simple. This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Hey, that's me. Sad, scary music. I had an unhappy thought. It's a bad trip. Bad trip, bad trip. Help. Hello and welcome to Blue Notes, your hockey podcast network home for your reigning, defending, undisputed champion of the world, St. Louis Blues. This is episode number 37 of Blue Notes, or as I like to call it, the Roman Vopot edition of Blue Notes. Why Roman Vopot, you ask? Well, if it wasn't for Roman Vopot, we would not have had Wayne Gretzky for his cup of coffee here in St. Louis. Roman Vopot was the centerpiece of that trade, lest we forget. I'm Tom Franklin, your host for Blue Notes, thanking you once again for joining me for this episode where I get to talk about a St. Louis Blues team that, despite being among the best in the NHL, Kind of walk back home to Enterprise Center, a little bit of a beaten mess after their Western Canada road trip. The Blues have dropped five of their last six games, uh, dating back to before the All-Star break, and their form has not been great, and we'll count the ways why it hasn't been great coming up, including talking about a play that seemed to blow up on Twitter Friday night in Edmonton where Justin Falk made a not a, a great play, let's call it that, that led to Edmonton getting the go-ahead and game-winning goal. We'll talk about that, and then we're going to talk about Justin Falk extensively here in this episode because I'm going to be bringing on Zach Tompkins of the Siren Sounder podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network covering all things Carolina Hurricanes. No, I'm not bringing him on just to rub salt in the wound over the Justin Falk I'm bringing him on because the Blues play the Hurricanes Tuesday night to kick off their homestand at Enterprise Center. But we will be talking about the Justin Falk and Joel Edmondson trade and, you know, kind of reviewing it now that we're about, you know, almost two-thirds of the way through the season. So we'll be talking about that for sure. Um, And then going to end this episode off with, no, I'm not doing Down on the Farm because San Antonio is still not doing great. I might do Down on the Farm Thursday. But what I will be talking about is the future Seattle Kraken or the Seattle whatchamacallits 
whatever they end up being called. The new NHL Seattle team is in the news this week, and that includes some prognosticating as to who Seattle is going to take in the expansion draft. And for the Blues, there might be a reckoning coming after next season. We'll talk about the options here to end the episode because Seattle's in the news and I love the Kraken. I love the name Kraken. Uh, You may not. A lot of people don't. It's pretty divisive. I've come to find, but um, I just look forward to the uh, thought of the blues going to Seattle to play in the crack house. Thank you, Dylan Kayser for that one on the, uh, one of our co-founders of the hockey podcast network. By the way, I still have that bet going with Dylan Kayser. I'm recording this before the Super Bowl, so I don't know who's won it yet. But as I said in the last episode, thanks to our friends at NFLShop.com, we have a Super Bowl bet going on between the St. Louis Blues podcast and the San Jose Sharks podcast. If the Kansas City Chiefs win the Super Bowl, and by now we know if they have or not, I'll be sending Dylan a Kansas City Chiefs hat to wear on a future video. Now, if the 49ers have won by this time, I'll be getting a 49ers hat in the mail to wear in a future video. So uh, that's thanks to our friends at NFLshop.com. Check out my Twitter page at Blue Notes Pod for a link to get some specials from the NFLshop.com. It's directly from the source. So, you know, it's good. Um, Let's go ahead and start talking about the St. Louis Blues. And uh, they've not been playing great at all. Uh, Let's go back to... January 15th, it's the Blues and the Flyers, and the Flyers ended up winning 4-3 to three in overtime. And then on January 18th, their final game before the All-Star break, the Blues go into Colorado and get chopped 5-3. to three. And we are beginning to learn that Jordan Bennington apparently cannot play in Denver. Now, we have the All-Star week, which I still remember fondly. Uh, it was a great time for me to be a reporter and uh, uh, got to meet players. It was it was a lot of fun. But then we got right back to business on Monday the 27th, just so this is past Monday. In Vancouver, the Canucks won 3-1, to one, and then the Blues went to Calgary and won in a crazy shootout in more ways than one, 5-4. We heard from Brad Baroud of the uh, Flame Unfiltered podcast on uh, Thursday. You can listen to that. That's episode number 36. Check that out if you want more analysis of that game. And then, well, a bad two games happened. The Blues went to Edmonton and lost 4-2. to two, And then the Blues lost in Winnipeg 5-2. to two. Don't like losing those Central Division games, especially like that. But the Blues had issues cracking Halibut, uh in Winnipeg on Saturday night. I'm going to go back to the Friday game here. So the Blues go down early 2-0. They're sleepwalking in Edmonton. And then they get a rally going. They tie it up 2-2. And with the game tied at 2-2, the St. Louis Blues have a face-off in the Edmonton zone. Now keep this in mind. It's in the Edmonton zone. And this one is Tyler Bozak taking the face-off. And Bozak is... Does, he actually wins the faceoff. It goes to, to Robert Thomas, but but Thomas turns it over in the corner. Now, at this point in time, Justin Falk is, if we're looking down at the TV camera, he is on the near side blue line. Petrangelo's on the far side. Now, when the breakout starts for the Edmonton Oilers, it's one player getting the puck and starting to run. Justin Falk has already reacted to this, and he is trying to close down this one player who is skating on the other side of the ice where Petrangelo is. Now, Alex Petrangelo, the very capable NHL defenseman, will probably get paid big bucks this offseason, whether it's the Blues or someone else. I really hope it's the Blues at this point. But Justin Falk is going to be a hero. So he starts closing down the other guy, and with... Him and Petrangelo basically shoulder to shoulder with one another. All the Oilers guy needs to do is just flick it to a darting Leon Dreisaitl. You know, as he is about ready to enter the blue zone. And you can see it happening as it's unfolding. Justin Falk 
failing to react in time to really do much of anything to impede Leon Dreisaitl. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl, don't give him an inch, he will burn you, and Justin Falk gave him feet worth of space. So, it was Yamamoto feeding it to Dreisaitl, and then Dreisaitl sniping it by Jake Allen. Good shot, one that I think Jake Allen could have been better positioned for, because uh, it just whizzed right over his glove. Um... I mean, Dreisaitl is a special player, don't get me wrong. But this was a play that I felt that Jake Allen needed to make. But it was also a play that had Justin Falk stayed on his side of the ice, probably gets snuffed out some way, somehow, instead of what actually happened. And I've seen a lot of blame uh, towards Justin Falk on this play. Some of it's warranted. But I'm of the mind that, for one, they could have done better in the offensive zone. I mean, Robert Thomas didn't have to cough the puck up in the offensive zone. Um, And yeah, Justin Falk should have stayed on his side, but he didn't. So what did the Blues do after that? Well, you saw what happened. So I, I feel it's harsh to entirely blame Falk on that because there were other things going on around him. But I get a, I get this sad, sad feeling that Justin Falk is becoming the new whipping boy here in St. Louis. The one that everyone blames whenever things go wrong. And when you have a contract like he, like he does, it's easy to throw blame like that towards a guy like that. Um, I'm not saying it's fair, but I'm just saying this is what happens. All right, we've got a caller on the Blue Notes fan line, 314-329-4349, 314-329-4349. Call it, text it 24-7, leave your message, and you will be heard on Blue Notes, especially if it is a voicemail. And this one is a voicemail from Tim in the 636, the St. Peter's area. Let's go ahead and hear what he has to say about this Justin Falk blunder. You can't blame Justin Falk for that goal. All goals that are going in against Jake Allen, counting against Jake Allen. Jake Allen's fault. Sorry, not Justin Falk's fault. Stop trying to blame everybody else for Jake Allen's problems. <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe I'm too early to call Justin Falk the new fall boy. Maybe it's maybe it's still Jake Allen. What what, what do you think, guys? Have we moved on from Jake Allen yet? Because some have not. Like my friend Tim in St. Peter's. Thank you, Tim, for the call. Um, <laughs> I will say Jake Allen, as I, as I said, shares some of the blame for that goal. I thought he could have been way better positioned, you know, to get his body in front of that shot. But regardless, the Blues right now aren't playing well. And having allowed a total of... Let's see, how many goals is this here? I got, I got to do some quick math here. 13 goals in the last three games, 16 in their last four. That's not going to do it. This, this team has some leaks. I don't think Biddington or Allen have been particularly sharp of late. I don't think the defense has been really tight of late. And that's got to change. And that's got to change pretty darn quickly here because the Hurricanes are coming into town. The Carolina Hurricanes, uh, they are not the team that we've known the past couple of years as a all-defense, low-scoring type of a team. No, their offense is taking off. You don't know about uh, Tavo Teravainen or Andrei Svechnikov. You will. You will. In fact, let's introduce you to them with Zach Tompkins of the Siren Sounder podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. It's our Blue Notes face-off of the week. And that beautiful NHL 94 music means it is time for another Blue Notes face-off. All right, I've got with me here Tom Franklin from the Blue Notes podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. And we are having a uh, crossover segment this week as the Blues and Hurricanes are set to face off uh, Tuesday night. 
and uh, going to get a little bit of perspective into where uh, both of our teams are at this point. But first things first, Zach, uh, we talked before we even started recording this. Uh, I sent you a link to a boneheaded play that Justin Falk had uh, a couple nights ago against Edmonton. Um, I've talked about it on my podcast already, but when I sent you that video, did it bring up any memories for you as a Hurricanes fan? Uh, yeah, a few. Um, I mean, my first reaction to it was the play started with St. Louis in the offensive zone. And when you sent me the link and said, look at this Falk play, I was, my first reaction was Justin Falk going to blow it at the blue line, offensive blue line, and lead to a crazy two-on-one or something like that. And it wasn't quite that, um, but it was <laughs> it was close. And every Hurricanes fan kind of knows the exact scenario I'm talking about. Um, and then it was, I was kind of confused by his decision to kind of take Pietrangelo's man when it seemed like he was in pretty good position already and then just couldn't get... It basically was a two-on-one with two defenders back, and he just lost them. I mean, I don't, I don't even know. The only thing I could think of is that maybe he saw a chance for a quick turnover and then maybe do a counter to the counter, but it's it, it, the play just was not there for him. And, all, and, and, and also looking back at that video, at the time that he jumped over, the Oilers were a little slow getting out of their own zone, so maybe he didn't think that there was going to be an issue on the back door, but... You know, the problem with that is that uh, Leon Dreisaitl's kind of good at hockey, and he's, yeah, he's, he's good at skating. And, yep. uh, yeah, he basically torched, you know, Falk and, and Petrangelo on that. And, you know, Jake Allen had to make that save, too. I've, I've talked about that on my podcast. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's the first thing I want to kind of jump in here uh, with Zach because this is our first chance to talk as fans of our respective teams about the big trade that both our teams made with each other starting off in this season, and that was Justin Falk to the Blues for Joel Edmondson and Dominic Bach. And I, first of all, before I say anything about this trade, although you can kind of guess where I'm going with it, I want to <laughs> I, I want to get your thoughts on how Joel Edmondson has acclimated in Carolina. So, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Joel Edmondson. He reminds me, and for any uh, people who remember any past Hurricanes teams. He reminds me a lot of Tim Gleason, who used to play for the Canes as just a really good, uh, I won't say like completely stay-at-home guy. I mean, he's definitely, he went on like a seven-game point streak or something earlier in the season, which was awesome. Uh, but definitely a more defensive-minded, physical guy who you just kind of know what you're getting from him day in, day out. He's not by any means like a crazy elite shutdown defenseman, but he handles his business. And uh, I think, that that for me the kind of play I respect that's just like I love that I love knowing what you're going to get out of a defensive guy he's going to be responsible he's not going to pinch when he shouldn't and all that sort of stuff um he's been he's been good unfortunately with the uh Dougie Hamilton injury he's kind of been thrown into a pretty difficult position I would say he's had to play I mean he's been playing a mix between top four and and uh third pair minutes I think he's fine as a as a second pairing defenseman, uh, especially with a guy like Brett Pesci, who to me is one of the uh, most elite defenders in the NHL. Um, but, you know, with Hamilton out, he's had to slot up a lot with Jacob Slavin. And I think that that's a tough assignment. I mean, again, I love Joel, but I think that his skating ability, he, he struggles a lot to keep up with a lot of those faster forwards. I mean, all the top lines in the NHL are ridiculously skilled. So regardless of the team, you know, even if it's a not great team. The first line's probably still really good. So uh, he he can take a lot of penalties and all that sort of stuff. And he's one of their best penalty killers. So that hurts to not have him. But all in all, I've I've definitely been happy with the value that Kane's got from a guy like that. Yeah, and, and the thing with Joel Edmondson, you you mentioned it right there. And these are these are things that kind of uh, soured the blues a little bit on Edmondson is that he's not a great skater. Uh, he does struggle sometimes, like just even with balance. I mean, he had some issues just staying on his skates here in St. Louis. Uh, but then there was also just the fact that I think he suffered a little bit from his own hot start with the Blues because he came up right at about the same time that Colton Pareko did. And those two like really started off hot. And and you're thinking maybe as a Blues fan that we just got our first uh, future number one pairing there, Edmondson and Pareko, two big, beefy, 
you know, physical guys uh, that can also contribute on offense. And I think as time went on, Edmondson kind of showed that, you know, whereas Pareko could be a top pairing guy, I think he, as you said, is kind of more of a second or third pairing type. And when asked to do more than what he's capable of, he he faltered. And that was kind of, a, and I think that kind of led to his uh, demise here in St. Louis. And uh, it, it, it's unfortunate because, you know, I, I enjoyed watching him play, but at the same time, it was, you had these ex- expectations for him that he just wasn't quite meeting up with. So, but at the same time, Blues fans are probably, you know, groaning when, you know, you talk about how great he's assimilated in Carolina um, because here we go. The Blues let another good one go away. Well, hmm. when you're in a situation like a Robbie Fabry is, for instance, you know, Robbie Fabry was buried in this lineup. He wasn't ever going to get out of Craig Berube's doghouse. The two just did not see eye to eye. It was not going to work here. So you send Robbie Fabry to a place where he can get better and where he can get more playing time in a role that suits him better. And guess what? He plays better. And, mm-hmm. I, th- and I think Edmondson is benefiting from that in Carolina, where he doesn't have a lot of expectation on him. He can be part of a very deep core in Carolina, and uh, he can excel in the role that best suits him. Yep, uh, yep. I think that sums it up pretty well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, now as far as Justin Falk goes... And, and and you can you can respond to this. He started off really slow in St. Louis because I don't know that Craig Bruby knew exactly what to do with him at first. He had him bouncing around with different line pairings, and they tried him in the offhand with Petrangelo at first. Uh, that didn't work at first, but that seems to be doing okay now. And it seemed like Justin Falk had some t- uh, trouble assimilating on a s- pretty tightly knit St. Louis Blues roster. And as as time's gone on, like I thought in December he started playing really well. Uh, in fact, he's actually not playing bad now. I mean, as you saw there, Zach, he was playing on a pairing with Petrangelo, and mm-hmm. that seems to be the pairing going forward. Um, you know, you pair up a guy like Justin Falk with a Petrangelo who are, you know, you look at the two and you think they're pretty similar um, and they do share some similarities, but Petrangelo is usually a lot more responsible on his own end. Whereas Justin Falk, as we've seen, can be, you know, a little irresponsible, if you will. Um, <laughs> I think I still think of I'm still of the mind that I think Justin Falk will be OK. Um, the problem with just OK, though, is that contract. Yeah, that's six that's and a half million dollar contract. Kicker. I'm going to talk here in a little bit after after our podcast about where the Blues go, like with the Seattle expansion draft. And I'm kind of get I'm kind of thinking that Falk might be that candidate to be a guy that Armstrong tries to bribe Seattle into taking, you know, <laughs> just to protect some other younger stars. But uh, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, so overall, I, I guess it'd be fair to say, Zach, that you're pretty happy with the straight so far. Yeah, um, I mean, it goes both ways because it's it's a really hard thing to sum up Justin Falk from a Hurricanes fan perspective because <laughs> there's there's just so much that goes into it. I mean, he uh, starting off. I mean, I remember I went to a preseason game uh, when he was first kind of tried out in the roster, like trying to make the team, and I just remember looking and being like, "Who is this Falk kid? He's he's killing it." out there like I'm super impressed by him he he was drafted you know relatively high and I I not really expected to be an impact player right away but you saw him jump into the lineup and you were like this kid's got skills um like you know he's a he can move the puck but I mean it was mostly his defensive ability he was just a very talented uh guy shutting down some of these really good forwards and you saw him break into the Hurricanes roster early in his career I mean he's an all-star and he was it looked like oh man we've got an elite defenseman for years and years and years. Like he was going to be a franchise shut down two way defender who was just, you know, killing it every year. And then, I mean, and it's, it's hard to say exactly what the cause is because to be honest, he played on a lot of not good hurricanes rosters um, during a time where they had an owner that, you know, was on a budget and not willing to spend to the cap. And the team usually tried to, you know, call up guys from from Charlotte or Albany at the time, and and try to 
you know, plug holes, uh, you see it happen a lot with teams that are just looking for answers and aren't necessarily willing to go out and get the pieces. They just hope that the answer's on the roster. For the Hurricanes, it definitely wasn't. The answer was not on the roster for years. <laughs> they struggled. Um, and so Justin Falk didn't really have a ton of help, but still he... You saw him, you know, I mean, he set like a record for power play goals one year for the Hurricanes. And somewhere along the lines, the offense just disappeared. And I think it had to do a lot with, I honestly think that the the team let Justin Falk get away because the culture over that 10-year playoff drought just really started to not be good. I mean, this is why every Hurricanes fan is so appreciative of Rod Brendamore and what he's done for the team because those teams, it, it just, it wasn't a good atmosphere. The play, and I mean, now you hear all the stuff coming out about Bill Peters and everything. And I mean, you can you can see how a lot of guys didn't like coming to the rink. And Justin Falk was one of the first ones to say, like, it actually made me sad last year in an interview. Um, he he had said, like, you know how much during that second half stretch, which you can relate to, the Blues did the same thing. Uh, and the Hurricanes were just on a tear and, and lighting it up and just seemed determined to get back into the playoffs no matter what. And you could just see how much fun all the guys were having. And Justin Falk was one of them. And he even said uh, in the locker room one day that, you know, over the last few years, there were plenty of days where it wasn't fun to come to the rink and you didn't feel like doing it. It wasn't a great environment. And you, you feel bad for those guys because I think it did impact a lot of their attitudes of how they approached the game. It, it felt more like a job and, and less like, you know, a, a thing you love doing. So I think that that really weighed on Justin Falk along with kind of the responsibilities. And when you're, you know, one of these top defensemen on a team that keeps getting scored on and all has a bunch of defensive breakdowns, most likely because your 12 Fords have no idea how to play defense <laughs> or have any sort of system of back checking, um, you know, that, that pressure starts to get to you and it starts getting a little debilitating, I guess. And I, I think he really kind of, stop like he didn't have the best attitude going forward I mean you can't blame him but I think that in the off seasons he didn't put as much work in as he as he probably should have and I'm sure he'd be someone who would agree with that too but he just seemed to start getting a little slower uh and so I think that that had a lot to do with the the offense drying up I mean it's hard to break out and, and lead chances from the defensive zone when you don't have speed that's kind of what is required to be that look at any of the elite offensive defensemen and, and they're all fast. I mean, you can't get from one end to the other and create a chance without going past someone somewhere along the line. So I think that that hurt Justin Falk. And then because of that, I mean, you saw it in that play that you sent over to me against Edmonton. Uh, he just gets beat. It's like he gets caught flat footed. Um, you know, he put on a few pounds at one point and, and probably needed to be a little lighter and just stuff like that. I think that started hurting him. I think you're still seeing him trying to get back to form. Um, but, you know, Justin Falk, I feel bad for him a lot. He's just been a scapegoat everywhere he's been, it seems like, for, for a long time. And uh, I think a lot of it has to do with just unrealistic expectations. But, I mean, to be honest, it's kind of on him because he's shown at some point in his career that he can – he had the ability to be an elite two-way defenseman. And it just kind of dried up, and he never really got back to it. But last season for the Hurricanes, I mean, I thought he played fantastic. He – he seemed like he was revitalizing his career, not necessarily with the offense, um, but I think the Hurricanes didn't really need it. They had a guy like Dougie Hamilton um, to step in and, and be that kind of guy. So you just needed Justin Falk to play good defense. He was paired with Brett Pesci last year, and that was the best defensive pairing on the team. I mean, I love Jacob Slavin, uh, and I love Dougie Hamilton, but those two guys, Pesci and Falk, I mean, Rod Brindamore was throwing him out there against everyone. The Hurricanes don't make it as far as they did in the playoffs without uh, Justin Falk and Brett Pesci because, honestly, Dougie Hamilton wasn't good in the Washington series defensively. I mean, everyone remembers the play against Ovechkin where he kind of shied away from contact and let him get a nice chance out in front. And that, you know, that could have gone south quickly without Justin Falk and the team. You don't really have anybody else to throw into that position. And, uh, you know, he, he was great. He was great. And so... Here comes the offseason, and obviously he's a pending UFA after the season's up. You know that there's a lot of interest in him around the league, and I think everyone knew there's no way we're re-signing Justin Falk. He's, he's sounding like he's going to get at least $6 million a year. He's been way too inconsistent for that. No Hurricanes fan thinks that he's worth that, and I mean, I, you know, I'm not going to disagree. I think that it, it, was, it was becoming hard to justify knowing that you've got a Dougie Hamilton that you'd rather throw your money at, which I think is fine. Not every team has a Dougie Hamilton to step into that role. So, um, But with that just came 
you know, we got to move this guy. We got to move this guy. We got to get something for him. We can't lose him for nothing. And I will say that there were plenty of times where I thought, hey, I mean, it seems like this team made the playoffs last year on their defense and, and really did well <laughs> on their defense. I mean, yes, yeah, Sebastian Ajo had a career year, point per game player. That was great. Tavo Teravainen's obviously an elite forward. Uh, and you got Andrei Svechnikov, who's continuing to get better. All that sort of stuff, that's great. Um, but you can't add offense by subtracting defense to me. That's not a winning formula. And I was very adamant about that. Uh, I don't think that was a super popular opinion because a lot of people were all on board with the uh, Justin Falk for Andre Kasha rumors and all that sort of stuff. He was going to get traded there until he waived it. Uh, and I, I didn't like that. I didn't like it. I, I think Kasha is a great player, but I think that, you getting a little bit more offense, maybe a, a you know maybe a twenty goal guy somewhere around there to lose a top four defenseman and get no one to replace it. That to me was uh, uh, unheard of. And if the Hurricanes would have made that move, they would not be in the playoff hunt. I'm confidently willing to say that, especially with the injury to Dougie Hamilton. Now they would have been absolutely you know hung out to dry on the defensive end. It would not have gone well. Well, fast forward to now, and you know the the injury and. And it kind of, it's, it just seems like, you know, would they have been better with him in the lineup this year? I think probably so defensively. Um, but, you know, I'm fine with trading him and getting it. And honestly, I'd like the trade because they got Edmondson back. Because I think that Edmondson has been able to um, take on a lot of the defensive responsibility about as well as Justin Falk uh, would have. I think that Justin Falk would be a slight upgrade in the defensive end because he's, I mean, you've seen it. He can play those minutes with Petrangelo. Like he's yeah. very capable of playing 25 minutes a game. Um, and there's Edmondson's just not to me. I mean, it's not a fault of him. Again, it's like expectations. He, he's not going to be what he's not. You gotta, you gotta just say, Hey, Joel Edmondson, you're a, uh, basically a, a fourth or fifth defenseman. And that's fine. Like every team needs a fourth or fifth defenseman. It's not exactly. a, it's yeah. not a bad thing. Um, but you know, don't expect him to be a, a two, three guy. And if you're expecting him to be a two, three guy, it's just, it's, you're going to taint your, your kind of judgment of the guy. Same thing with Justin Falk. I mean, you throw six, $7 million at the guy and he's probably not a, a top two guy defensively. And unless his offense comes back, he's not a top two guy offensively. So, you know, you're looking at a guy who can be a fourth defenseman and probably anchor the top four pretty well and add some good depth. And, you know, maybe on the power, he's got a bomb of a shot. I honestly never understood why more teams don't just put him in the kind of Ovechkin spot as a right-handed shot and just let him tee up because he's still got a really good shot. Um, and but he's not a he's not a quarterback. I think a lot of people just want him to be, and he's just he's never going to be. Like I don't I don't know what to tell you on that. He's not going to be a Eric Carlson, you know, John Carlson playmaking guy who can also score like no Justin Falk got offense from his shot that was that was his main thing you throw it to him at the point you get a screen in front he tees up and it's going in a lot so kinda, um it kind of reminds me he kind of reminds me a little bit of you know you, you're mentioning some of the you know the fact that he's not necessarily a poor uh you know power play quarterback um and then he's also not the get best skater you know he kind of reminds me of a poor man's Al McGinnis in that regard you know, Al McGinnis was a guy that had a bomb of a shot. I mean, he owned the hardest shot competition in the All-Star game for years. A uh, guy would put up buckets of goals every year as with that big right-handed slapper. But he was also not the greatest skater. I mean, he was he, he was okay. He was fine. And I think Falk's okay and fine in that regard. Um, but it just, it just yeah, and, and to your point, I mean, it, it does still kind of feel to me like they're finding – what Falk findings they're still learning about Falk and and it's it's our it's February and it's it's concerning to uh the the fact that they still haven't you know ironed out his role fully yet I mean yeah he's playing okay with Petrangelo so far but at the same time you want to see him take that step forward you want to see him kind of show us that player that he was before now you were kind of talking, Zach, that you know your best defensive pairing, you know, up until you know th this year, probably was Falk and Pesci. And Pesci is a guy that I see mentioned around a lot as a guy that doesn't get his just desserts as a really good defenseman. Do you think Absolutely. this was a this? Do you think this was a case of Pesci maybe bringing out the best in Falk, um, or what? What made that pairing work so well? Yes, I mean, Brett Pesci brings out the best in everyone to be. 
I think that, you know, for years, Hurricanes fans were saying Jacob Slavin's the most underrated defenseman in the league. And now you've kind of started to see people start to realize like, oh man, this guy is for real. He's really good. Uh, and, you know, now he kind of gets a lot of credit. Now Brett Pesci is that guy. Brett Pesci is a top two defenseman on any team in this league. Like, I, I, I don't care how good anyone's defense is. His, abil- his defensive ability is up there with Slavin. And he also has sneaky offensive ability as well that I think a lot of people don't realize. Um, so, yeah, I think that anyone who plays with Brett Pesci automatically gets a, gets a bump. And Justin Falk was a benefactor of that. I think Joel Edmondson has been this year, too, when he plays with him, uh, which is why I think you've maybe seen Hurricanes fans be more happy with this performance in a top four role than St. Louis fans is because, you know, Brett Pesci just brings out, you know, the, the, the good in guys and um, kind of allows Edmondson to be that stay-at-home guy because Brett Pesci's going to help drive the offense a little more and all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, I think that Justin Falk's play last year and his kind of uh, – renaissance if you will into into getting back to that elite defensive play was definitely helped along by Brett Pesci but to that I would say okay cool I mean like I, I still think that they could have kept him and I don't who cares if if Brett Pesci is the reason why that pairing is so good if it's good you know what if it ain't broke don't fix it you know <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely well uh, I want to you know turn attention now to the uh, game on Tuesday uh, Blues and uh, Hurricanes and uh, to a lot of Blues fans, you know, when when you know they look at your roster and they they if they know anything about the Hurricanes, they know that the Hurricanes have a deep defensive core. Defense has always been kind of you know the Hurricanes' mo in recent years, as you mentioned with you know Justin Falk, you know, leading the way for so long as he did. But this year, just looking at them from a distance, it really seems like that the Hurricanes' offensive core has really t- dialed it up a lot, uh, particularly the play of Andrei Zvechnikov, the 19-year-old from Russia uh, who had, you know, but probably a good, you know, fine rookie season, but not great. Now he's almost a point-per-game guy. I mean, what has been behind his, you know, explosion this year? He's so talented. I mean, uh, he just... Uh... When we drafted him second overall, I just had flashbacks to, hey, I remember the last talented four we drafted second overall. His name was Eric Stahl. And uh, he came into the league and and played, you know, didn't necessarily get top, top line minutes. Uh, he also had Ron Francis to play behind and Rod Brindamore um, right after that. But, you know, he, he put up a 30-ish point season. And then for him, luckily, his second year was the uh, 04 lockout where he got to go to the AHL for a year and just destroy everyone. I mean, it wasn't even fair. He was completely above that league and then came in in 05, 06. And I mean, is the reason the Hurricanes won the Stanley Cup. 100 point season, uh, led the the playoffs and power play goals. I think I just remember every time you get on a stick, it was like he was going to score. And fast forward to Andrei Svechnikov. And I'm just, I, I see so many of the similarities in their progression. Like, Here's a talented young 18-year-old who's also playing for a coach in Rod Brendamore that is probably the most... I mean, you hear all the time about player coaches, you know, kind of putting themselves in the player's shoes and probably being better at coaching the players and maybe less systematically as good as, you know, some of these strategy coaches. Well, Rod Brendamore is the epitome of a player's coach. He knows exactly what it's like to be in Svechnikov's shoes. Rod Brendamore is a talented 18, 19-year-old rookie. Uh... You know, so he, he knows what that's like and he knows what all that pressure is like and, and he knows how to shelter a guy like that in a in a positive way to where he can say, I know that the biggest thing you need to work on is just the adjustment to the NHL game, the defensive side for all these, you know, high end talented forwards that get drafted. I mean, it's not hard to play defense in the CHL as it is in the NHL. That's a huge <laughs> jump. So you might be a wizard offensively, but everybody needs to work on their two-way game when they first jump into the league. So, you know, he's playing on a fourth line for most of the year. Uh, as the season progresses, he really starts to make progress to his own credit. I mean, Rod Brendamore will tell you, the kid's always asking what he can do better, always in the video room, you know, first on, last off the ice type guy. Even during this last bye week, he's he's at all the optional skates and on the ice you know, as much as he possibly can. The kid just loves to play hockey and he wants to be 
he is not and the hurricanes color commentator trip tracy says this all the time he's not your quote-unquote typical russian uh you know he, he he's used to that north american game uh you know a lot of russian players it's just a more skilled offensive like ah defenses whatever type deal and i mean i'm sure you can think of a lot of other forwards in the league and and understand exactly what i'm talking about yeah but svechnikov is definitely committed to that you know north american game he plays a powerful uh power forwards game and you know is is so much better in his defensive and now he's not a complete liability like he used to be <laughs> you know he has his moments but uh he is just he is just super talented and now this year rod's able to trust him and put him in that top six role and let him he's on the power play he was never on the power play last season 20 goal season like i don't think a lot of people don't know this 20 goals as an 18 year old all of them even strength so that's pretty impressive. I think if you look at even strength goals among some of the top goal scorers in the league, and you probably get a lot of guys around that number. So if Andrei Svechnikov was on the power play last year and was just able to tee up that great shot he's got, he probably ends up with closer to 30. Um, we're looking at that you know, season a little differently and saying, does this guy get more Calder consideration and all that? Um, but you know, this year, he's, he's kind of earned the trust of his coach, and he's less sheltered. And I mean, give that guy the opportunity and he's definitely going to take advantage of it. So that's, yeah. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to watch him develop because you know that the comparisons to Vladimir Tarasenko are going to be there given that they are, you know, two very talented left-handed shooting Russians, you know, that can put up points in bunches. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's like you mentioned as well, like, you know, Svechkov saying that he's not your typical Russian and that he, he does chip in on defense. Uh, that was something that Tarasenko, you know, it took him a little time to develop because, you know, unlike Sveshnikov, you know, Tarasenko stayed in Russia, you know, throughout his youth career. Um, mm-hmm. but, there, but he really wanted to play the North American game. And so when he got over here, yes, he was pretty bad on his own end, you know, when he started out, but it was something that he worked on. And I wouldn't call him anything resembling a Selkie candidate by any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> but you know, he's not, he's, he's not a total, he, he chips in, you know, at, at the very least. So it's, you know, it's, it's refreshing to see players coming from Russia that are breaking that, you know, soft label that uh, Russians often have. Yeah. Vladimir Tarasenko is one of my favorite players to watch. I mean, I've always been such a fan of his, and uh, I, I think that's a big reason why. But he, he's, he's so good. Uh, um, I, if, if Svechnikov can live up to anywhere near that comparison, I'll be very, very happy about it. <laughs> well, hopefully he stays a little healthier than Tarasenko. Of course, Tarasenko, yeah. still, he's, he's still out, and he's... Uh, I watched Doug Armstrong again in the... Um, it was in the uh, Winnipeg game Saturday night, basically saying that he's expecting... Next couple of weeks to get an update on Tarasenko and how he's doing. They're still hoping that he might be there for a playoff run. But if not, the Blues might end up being players in the trade deadline. Right. Um, they, you know, it, it's kind of unheard of for a team as tight as the Blues are to even be considering, you know, making big additions at the deadline. You know, they're still, you know, at, at the time we're recording this, eight points up on Colorado in the West. But there is some dark clouds you know lately for the blues they've lost five of their last six dating to before the all-star break and they've they've just kind of run along a really bad patch of form of late it's kind of the doldrums of the season you know it's it's Mm -hmm. it's january february you know we haven't really hit the home stretch yet and the blues you know they had an all they hosted the all-star game and then but they still have like a week off plus from you know playing competitive hockey and they got to find it in Western Canada, you know, and, and that, on that and on that dreadful easy. Western Canada road trip. Not ideal. No, uh, not ideal to say the least. Uh, uh, so you know, the Blues might be looking to add a forward in this trade deadline. Uh, what does Carolina need? Oh, they need a top four defenseman, very very badly. Um, my choice out of the ones that seem to be kind of available would be a guy like Brendan Dillon from the Sharks. Um, you know, okay. a physical guy who can anchor. Basically, the Hurricanes traded both Calvin DeHaan and Justin Falk from last year's roster, um, which is, is is all well and good. You know, with Justin Falk, it was they, they didn't want to lose him for nothing, and they got a guy back who could kind of replace him for this year. That's fine. With Calvin DeHaan, it was definitely this guy's making $4.5 million to pay on the third pair. And also we have concerns about his health going forward. You see how that ended up. I mean, definitely probably a smart move. 
uh, unfortunate for Dahan, who's probably one of the best people in the game. Um, but you know, injuries are what they are and it sucks that it keeps you out of the lineup. But, um, now without Dougie Hamilton, I mean, even before the Dougie Hamilton injury, basically what it was, was the hurricane signed Jake Gardner. And you can see by the contract they gave him <laughs> that they expected him to jump into the top four and, and be great. And again, I mean, I don't, I don't know that you can blame this on Jake Gardner. It's another case of you're expecting more out of a guy than he can possibly give to you. Um, you know, he had that back injury that I think has really hurt his skating. And he already wasn't, you know, a, a blazing skater. He was a he was right. a fine skater, but you know, not blowing guys away and not able to uh, uh, recover in his own zone super well. And you know, all the I mean, the Toronto fan base blows it up. But, oh yeah. Um, the, oh. the defensive lapses. I mean, I always thought like, I mean, he has his moments, but he's not as bad as you guys make him out to be. Um, but this year, it's I mean, you 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 see it and you're like every it was the same thing in, in Carolina I mean not to the same degree because we're nicer I feel like in the in the southeast than uh those folks up in Toronto are to their sports players but um you know he he definitely has plenty of moments he's been fine lately but uh his skating ability really just made him a complete defensive liability and there's no way that they could trust him to consistently play on that second pairing with Brett Pesci well now he has to because you know uh, a guy like Edmondson or or Van Riemsdyk or you know somebody has to jump up with Jacob Slavin because if you put Brett Pesci up with Jacob Slavin now you've got a one defensive pair team <laughs> and all third pairing defensemen behind that and it's not going to work so uh, the Hurricanes needed it anyway and now they desperately need a top four defenseman their their bottom guys just consistently get penned in their own zone. And I mean, if you know anything about the Hurricanes kind of advanced analytics side of it, you know that they're a possession driving team and that's how they win games. Well, that hasn't been going very well lately because they've spent, you know, they've get three, four, five shifts a period hemmed in their own zone for a minute and a half plus and, and that doesn't then their offense doesn't get to do anything. So they definitely need to add a defenseman. Well, at the time we're recording this, we're recording this before the Sunday game, but the Hurricanes still very much in the mix in the Metro and just the playoffs in general, sitting at 61 points, two points back of the likes of the Flyers, the Blue Jackets, also uh, the aforementioned Maple Leafs. Uh, and, of course, you're under the leadership of Rod Brindamore, a, uh, and, and you, you made mention as well that he was an 18-, 19-year-old rookie at one point. Well, he was, and he was with the St. Louis Blues. St. Louis Blues, yep. yes, back in the back in the late '80s. Definitely one of those guys that uh, uh, Blues fans can look back and cringe whenever they think of the Blues trade history. Because <laughs> in 1991, he went uh, to Philadelphia with one of the biggest jackasses of the league at the time, Dan Quinn, in exchange for Ron Sutter and Murray Barron. And needless to say. <laughs> Philadelphia got the better end of that trade, uh, and yeah. it's not really even close. But I mean, talk a little bit more about Brenda Moore. I mean, you know, and and what he has done, you know, to uh, to to lead Carolina to where they are now. Uh, I mean, and and to touch on what you just said, fast forward to Philadelphia trading him to Carolina, and it's like I'm sure they would say the same thing. It seems like oh. Brenda Moore was always undervalued in his trades, huh? Yeah, real. I mean, really, one of the most underrated players of all time, in my opinion. I think so. Um, yeah. And, you know, the Hurricanes didn't let go of him. They, they kept him until he <laughs> retired, and then they said, jump on the bench, Rod. Um, <laughs> Rod is, is – I have so much respect for Rod Brennamore. First of all, like as a, as a kid growing up playing, I, I always modeled my play after Rod Brennamore. I've always been a, a guy that – I've played every position, but mostly uh, a winger. And I've always thought defense first. Like score if you can, but I am not going to be the reason why we get scored on this play so I'm always the guy looking to be a high forward when it's needed I'm always the guy making sure pucks go in deep instead of throwing them back a risky play on the point or anything like that and I I learned all that from the way Rod Brindamore plays and exactly how he was as a player is how he coaches these guys to play and and to me it is it is it's so it's such the right answer that I can't believe that it's just not universally understood easily as this is how you play if you want to be successful defense drives offense and there's not a lot of guys in the league unfortunately that buy into that I think that um, if you look at a guy like Tavo Teravainen on the Hurricanes and you see man have this guy just blow up well 
you know, when we got him from, from Chicago, it was great. And we were excited about him, a former first round pick who has some skill and, you know, you expect him to be kind of a, a top six, top nine guy. And then he turns into a point per game player all of a sudden. And you're like, whoa, this is way more than we expected. Um, and he is probably one of the best two-way forwards on the Hurricanes. His defensive ability, he, he kills penalties. I mean, he is such a good example of, hey, take care of your own end and the chances come. I think that Sebastian Ajo is the same way. Um, I mean, that season he had last year, all those points, it's because it was probably the best defensive year he's had. Um, and the same thing, kills penalties and, and plays in every situation. And these guys are so the, – the league is so fast now that you have to understand that if, if you're winning battles in your defensive end and coming from underneath with support, that the, the speed of these forwards generating from their own zone, you know, winning a battle like that is automatically going to create a chance. So it, it doesn't make sense to cheat offensively for chances when really working hard in the defensive end is is what leads to those chances. So that is Rod's philosophy. I, I could not be bought in more to that idea. <laughs> I mean, I've always felt that way, and I'm so glad that there's finally someone who can get professional players to buy in and, and basically prove that this works. I mean, look at last year, and the team bought into it, and, and it worked. It got them to the Eastern Conference Finals on a team that hadn't made the playoffs in 10 years with – you know, a good roster, but on paper didn't look to be super threatening to anyone. And most people picked them not to make the playoffs. So, um, I, I mean, I could sit here. I'd hate to drive up the, the play time on this episode, but I could sit That's here for right. probably and, and talk about what Rod Brendamore has done for the Canes. But he is the best leader I've ever known. I mean, I, I watch his speeches and I'm not even in the room and it gives me goosebumps, you know, and his... He's so honest and you watch his press conferences and he's never going to hit you with a bunch of cliches. He's going to tell you exactly what it is. He's, he's so good at, uh, you know, choosing his words in a way that uh, keep his, hold his players accountable, but without placing blame on any one individual or, or, you know, anything like that. He'll let the guys know when they need to pick it up and get going. But um, he's also there to, you know, make sure they know all the things they're doing right. And he, I mean, Rod Brendamore, Justin Williams, leaders that this team doesn't go anywhere with without those guys so yeah I can respect a guy like Brendan Moore because you know he sounds very similar to who the Blues have in Craig Berube in that Mm -hmm. you know he is a you know former player I mean granted Ruby's job was to you know punch faces and you know Brendan Moore's <laughs> was to you know actually play defense and offense um, but Ruby's a guy that also you know he's he's a guy that commands respect I mean he's still got that you know that stone face from when he, he played in hockey but you know when he talked to the guy he's also fair and you know he also will uh, as you said he's very upset about Brendan Moore very thoughtful about his words uh, like I remember when I talked to him at the NHL All-Star Games media day you know I asked you know about Jake Allen's turnaround this year. And, you know, Bruby said it wasn't a turnaround because he thought Jake Allen was playing fine. I mean, he he backed up his goalie, you know, and, and he's and he's a guy that whenever the, the need for criticism is warranted, he will criticize. But he also will defend his players as well. And I think a lot of that mentality comes just from the fact that he was a player himself. So, you know, yeah. I can respect a guy like that. I can respect, respect a guy like Brendan Moore. Um, by the way, I appreciate you mentioning Ter- uh, Tavo Teravainen and the trade that brought him to, to Carolina because Blues fans love it when sh- the Chicago Blackhawks suffer in any way, shape, <laughs> or form. And uh, might I remind our listeners that the trade was Tavo Teravainen and Brian Bickle for yep. a second and a third round pick. That was mm-hmm. it. They The Blackhawks were in cap hell as they always find themselves in, and they had to get rid of Bickle's salary, and the price was Tavo Teravainen, and the rest, yep. as they say, is history. So that's correct. <laughs> uh, if I if if I get another Hurricanes jersey, I may make it a Teravainen just yeah out of that out of spite for that trade. So well, he'll be around for a while, so it's one that you definitely <laughs> wouldn't be wasting money on. <laughs> definitely, definitely. All right, prediction time. Uh, who do you got uh, this Tuesday night? Oh, well, let's see. We have, and I mean, you mentioned the Blues have kind of struggled a little bit recently, but I'm, I'm looking at it and I see, you know, Stanley Cup champion opponent, probably the best, or I mean, I don't know how you could argue not top two best team in the league. Um, whether you pick the Capitals or the Blues to me, those are the teams that you're most scared of. Yeah. Um, and they've just got 
no really big holes on their roster. They've got a good offense, good defense, good goaltending. Um, and then I look at the Hurricanes who, you know, have holes on defense and the offense is kind of dried up to the point where Brenda Moore is essentially throwing his lines in a blender as he does when he's looking to find <laughs> something. Um, and I don't know. I, it really, I think, depends on whether they play Vancouver here right after we record this um, on Sunday, which has already happened at this point. But, you know, if they maybe they find a match that works and get some chemistry and sparks some offense there. But the way the Hurricanes have been playing, I mean, they're really going to have to recommit to their defensive game and just grind the Blues out and, and force the Blues to play a game that, you know, more suits the Hurricanes. I think if the Hurricanes get caught playing the Blues game, uh, they're going to need either Peter Morozik or James Reimer to really bail them out, I think, because I think that the Blues definitely are, are a super talented team that's tough to play against. So I, I would say I'm optimistically expecting a good game, um, but, you know, I would not be surprised at all to see the Hurricanes take the L in that one. Um, you know, it, it pains me to say, but the Blues are just a really good team, so... I'm very disappointed because, you know, I, I always lead the Colorado Avalanche guys uh, offside by a mile into my trap here when I tell them, pick a score, and they always pick the <laughs> Avalanche to win, and then they always lose. So I was hoping you were going to say, oh, the, the Hurricanes were going to win 5-1. to one. It's going to be a blowout. Svechnikov's going to get a Hattie um, because – then the opposite would have happened, but he didn't fall into my trap, Zach. Mm. Sorry uh, about that. That's maybe right. maybe it is that I, I see through your trap and I'm reverse trapping you now into it. Mm, reverse re reverse trapology here, I guess, yes. uh, here on the Hockey Podcast <laughs> Network. I love it. I, I think it'll be a good game as well. I predict it'll probably be a high-scoring game. Um, and when I say high-scoring, I mean like the victor's probably going to win something like 4-3. to three. Uh, the Blues have been a little leaky on defense lately, Justin Falk notwithstanding. Um, and the and neither Bennington nor Allen would I say are like at the top of their game at the moment. So uh, mm -hmm. it, it, it's going to be an I think it's going to be interesting. I think, as I said, I think there'll be uh, plenty of goals. I do think the I do pick the Blues to get the edge just simply because look, it's been it's been a rough trip. In, in Western Canada, you get to go home for the first time, get that home cooking, and they got a long homestand coming up here, starting with Carolina. I think they're going to be happy to be home, and I think they're going to come out swinging, but not yeah. not not swinging like the Oilers and Flames did on Saturday night. <laughs> hey, that's a different that's a uh, different story. <laughs> that's a way different story. All right, Zach, Zach Tompkins with the uh, uh, Siren Sounder podcast. Anything you got coming up this week? Anything you want to plug? Uh, nope, not a whole lot going on other than the podcast. Um, you can follow at SS Canes podcast on Twitter. Of course, you know, hockey podcast network where to find it. It's just under Carolina hurricanes instead of St. Louis blues. Um, so yep, that's about all I got going on. All right, Zach. Well, thanks a lot for being a guest. And, uh, as I said, all my guests, uh, good luck, but not too much. <laughs> that's right. The same, same to you. <laughs> And that was a very nice chat about the Hurricanes. I feel like I know the Hurricanes a lot better than I did before. Hopefully you do, and uh, should be a good game on Tuesday night. So the Seattle Kraken have been in the news this week, and they've been in the news because they might have a name, the Kraken. Um, I hope it remains the Kraken. I love the Kraken. I think there's some great potential with that mascot and the color scheme and what have you. I, I think it will be great. Um. Some fans don't seem to think so, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about something that will be inevitable with this Seattle team, and that is they're going to pick an expansion team, and much like Vegas, NHL teams, especially good ones, are going to have some tough choices to make. So in The Athletic this uh, past week, uh, they explored that very thing. Uh, Eric Dudashek did an art, uh, his third version of what a Seattle expansion draft would look like. Now, here's who he has the St. Louis Blues protecting at this point. Uh, they have, he predicts the Blues will, will protect seven forwards, three defensemen, and a goalie. And, of course, there, there's some flexibility uh, when it comes to how teams can protect their players. Uh, 7 3 1 seems to be the most popular. Um, but there's also ways I think you can uh, protect another uh, defenseman uh, or you just uh, go with the 8-1, and one, which is um, you ended up protecting four defensemen, 
but then you only protect four forwards. But he has the Blues going with a 7-3-1 and one here, and he has the Blues protecting Ryan O'Reilly, Vladimir Tarasenko, Braden Shen, Jaden Schwartz, David Perron, Robert Thomas, and Sammy Blay. On defense, he has the Blues protecting Alex Petrangelo, Justin Falk, and Colton Pareko. Talk about Falk here in a bit. And then in goal, obviously, Jordan Bennington. And I say obviously because both he and Allen will be unrestricted free agents at this point. They can still protect Allen, or they can let expose Allen if they want because he's still technically a blue when this draft happens. So I think the Blues will probably re-sign Jordan Bennington of those two. But that would leave Jake Allen, Ville Husso, Jordan Cairo, Ivan Barbashev, Oscar Sundquist, Zach Sanford, Tyler Bozak, Vince Dunn, and Alexander Steen. The only player at this point would be ex- of note that would be exempt would be Clem Costin because he doesn't have enough NHL time yet. But yeah, this is this is problematic because you don't want to lose Jordan Cairo in a draft like this. You don't really want to lose a Barbashev in a draft like this, although you might have to, or a Sunquist. Uh, Vince Dunn even might be a tough one. I mean, yes, he's been kind of in Bruby's doghouse this year, but I still would have a hard time seeing him go away here. So what do the Blues do? I think, honestly, at this point, if I'm the Blues... And this is a risk because it just came back to burn some teams. But I start figuring out a way for Seattle to take Justin Falk. And that's not fair to Falk. And it sounds harsh. I think Falk is going to be fine in St. Louis. But the problem is, at $6.5 million per year, you're supposed to be better than fine. And right now, he's not. So I see it as a very likely possibility if, if I were running the blues which I'm not and obviously I haven't guided them to a Stanley Cup final or a championship but if I were running the blues I would figure out okay let's, let's talk to Seattle's GM and say hey we got some young guys we want to protect here uh, what would it take for you to take Justin Falk now keep in mind Justin Falk is still a good defenseman yeah, I, never, I never say he was a bad defenseman he's still a good defenseman he just has occasional mental breakdowns like we saw in Edmonton and like we talked about with Zach of the Siren Sounder podcast. He seems like someone that the Blues would rather lose far more than a Jordan Cairo, wouldn't you? Uh, or maybe even by then, you know, I mean, Ivan Barbashev's a good value. Oscar Sundquist is a good value. Do you want to lose them? So I don't know how much it would take for Seattle to say, all right, we'll, we, I guarantee you we'll take Justin Falk, but you got to give us a second round pick. Would that be enough? I'd be okay with that. But with the Blues, it'd probably be a low second round pick. So then do you give up a prospect? Do you, give, do you dare give up a first? I think a lot of that depends on where the Blues are contract-wise because, again, Alex Petrangelo remains unsigned. He may not even be a factor if the Blues actually let Petrangelo walk. I have a hard time seeing that happening. But that's one thing to consider is what does Petrangelo's contract look like? Uh, What will Jordan Bennington's second contract look like? Jaden Schwartz will need a contract by then. It just, it's really too early to tell what's going to happen here. But I do sense that if the Blues could get Seattle to take Justin Falk, they'd probably be pretty happy with that. I just don't know how they get how they do that. And maybe it's too early. I could eat these words a year from now. And Justin Falk is a great defenseman. His numbers are back up, and he's earning that contract. Maybe it's someone else that needs to go. We'll take a look. But I just, I want to leave you with this expansion thought here just because it is something the Blues are going to have to think about especially this time next year as the season's winding down and the draft is coming on I'm looking forward to Seattle coming into the league but I'm not looking forward to who the Blues could end up losing 
in a draft like this. Because remember, last time this happened, the Blues lost David Perron, and Perron exploded in Vegas. Will that happen again here? We'll see. Anyway, that's going to do it for this episode of Blue Notes. I want to thank you for listening, because without you, there's no me, there is no Hockey Podcast Network, and there is no Blue Notes. I'm Tom Franklin, reminding you to not be a chump, and always play to the whistle. listening to the hockey podcast network on twitter at hockeypodnet new episodes every monday and thursday download at the hockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from 